0: And he was like, Jonathan, you really need to start changing for this. This is madness. You're working so hard on it. So we did. And we lost almost every one of those free users overnight.
1: Hello and welcome back to Indie Bites, the podcast where I bring stories of fellow indie hackers in fifteen minutes or less. Today, I'm joined by Tom Evans and Jonathan Bull from Email Octopus, a low-cost email platform who have bootstrapped over three million ARR since they were founded in 2014. They've been battling in a crowded and competitive market with some huge-funded companies to contend with, but they've made it work in an indie way. In this episode, we talk about how they lost 99% of their users overnight, why they've chosen to compete on price rather than in a niche, and the reasoning behind staying bootstrapped for so long. Now, regular listeners know that Email Octopus are a longtime sponsor of the show, and they kindly let me use this episode as part of my sponsorship allocation. But in their own right, they are a very successful bootstrap company with a great story and lots of insights to pass to indie hackers like yourself. So that being said, if you're inspired by this conversation and are looking for an email platform that's focused on affordability and ease of use... I suggest checking them out at emailautopus.com, where you can contact up to 2,500 subscribers for free, or hit the link in the show notes. There's also a 30-minute version of this conversation available on the IndieBytes membership, where we discuss topics like how to make co-founder relationships work successfully. You can access for that for $60 a year at IndieBytes.com slash membership. Let's get into it. John, Tom, welcome to the pod. Thank hey, you. James. I want to dive in a little bit to... Uh... The background of Email Octopus, for those that don't know, John, you did an episode of the Indie Hackers pod with your brother, Gareth, three years after the company was launched. But take us back. How did Email Octopus come about for you?
0: Sure. Well, I'll, I'll take you way back to when I was 14. I was obsessed with the internet. I was obsessed with practical jokes. And I created a website and my first business, which allowed people to send anonymous SMS and emails. And... At the time, it was a hilarious joke and it got me into a lot of trouble eventually. When I ran this business, I found I wanted to use email marketing and I had absolutely no money as a 14, 15 year old. So I ended up writing a script that did it myself and that script was a wild success. And I suddenly realized how powerful email marketing was. So four or five years later, I come back to it and I realize there's probably a business in an email marketing platform that is low cost and affordable for other indie hackers.
1: Yeah. And you uh, started this with your brother as well. How did that come about? Because he was a little bit more
0: entrepreneurial, I guess. Uh, was he sort of pushing you to do this or was this something that you sort of wanted to do? He wasn't pushing me to do it, but he found himself in exactly the same problem I had five years previous. He was running a an SEO agency with around 30 staff, very slim margins, as you may imagine, and wanted to do email marketing. But again, there was no tool that he could mm-hmm. do it in an affordable way. I think it took probably six to nine months in total we launch. We launch as a completely free product, which, yeah, in hindsight was was kind of madness, but it meant we got a lot of customers quite easily to begin with. Why did you decide to launch it free? That sounds absolutely absurd now to me,
1: thinking about it as, what, was it something you didn't want to make money of? Or you thought, let's get loads of free
0: customers in and then uh, down the line we'll turn the money on? At the time I had a, a fairly good job and Making money wasn't my main motivation. I just wanted to build things that people use. And the easiest way of doing that was to to give it away for free. Yeah, fair enough. It, it turned and- out to be a fantastic <laughs> marketing tactic. But yeah, long term, it's never going to work. But it got me those initial customers. I may have lost motivation motivation without that. And Gareth, the co-founder, was the main reason we turned on pricing. He was like, Jonathan, you really need to start <laughs> charging for this. This is madness. You're working so hard on it. So we did and we lost almost every one of those free users overnight that's crazy how much was it costing you when you were in terms of my time many many thousands of pounds but you know this is the advantage of being a developer and an indie hacker you know i was paying for server fees which was 50 to 100 dollars a month in hindsight and retrospect
1: your advice to other founders do you think that was a good idea to start it
0: start it free i don't think i'd necessarily advise someone to do it for free but i think and i I still think, and I know it's, it's controversial among other entrepreneurs, but I still think that low cost and affordability is a great marketing tactic, especially when you start out and you're in a position as an indie hacker to, to really cut the price. So when you lost all of
1: that, or, or 99% of your users overnight, that 1% of users,
0: how much revenue did that turn it into? I, I think it was like 200 to $300 a month. It was, it was nothing. It was nothing. But it was enough. You know, I'd I'd validated that there was a business in it. I knew that people wanted to use well, our pretty crap product to do their email marketing. Even though it was free, they're still using it, right? Like, it's still usable. So uh, probably a good time to bring
1: you in, Tom. Yes. Um, John, you grew it to around 3K MRR. And I, at this point, were you planning on keeping that as a side project? Where
0: does Tom come into the mix joining you on this? On this journey, I always wanted to go full time on it. That was my dream, like many indie hackers. But I, I honestly didn't want to hire anyone. I no longer wanted to work because I wanted to get away from that stuff. Right? I all I wanted to do was just sit on my on my laptop, build stuff, make money. That be my life. But it was it was Gareth again who pushed pushed us to hire. And what what made what convinced you to to hire Tom? Well, firstly, it was it was quite a low risk decision. We Tom started out with us as a contractor. Yeah. And I think it was revenue based, so Yeah, I wasn't paid much. Like the f-
2: the flat fee I was paid was 900 pounds. Wow. With, and then it was 25% of all revenue made. 25% so, of all revenue made. Yeah, sadly that agreement no <laughs> longer stands. Uh, yeah, otherwise uh, yeah, I'd be on a
1: beach somewhere. So when you come in, what changes are you making to help grow
2: Emails, but so first thing I do is look through Jonathan's emails, and there was probably a hundred emails from customers that just hadn't been responded to. <laughs> so it was just sure, putting why haven't in- you responded to customers? <laughs>
0: just
2: features. Well, he, ability, had, a, he had a full-time job at this point, right? So the customers are getting t- in touch on a Tuesday at three PM, and John's doing his his day job, so it gets forgotten about. And so first thing I do is put in place a kind of support system. That goes in place. We then begin to go through what the customer feedback was because mm-hmm. all these customers who'd been in touch, there was a lot of questions, a lot of feedback that they had, and it was about putting kind of those mm-hmm. into action. So yeah, it was just a, a better idea of what we're building and who we're building it for and giving good customer service to those people. And then that very, very quickly translated into more and more revenue. What did you do for growth? So... Super early stages, probably one of the most valuable things we did was we gave away templates for free. So we didn't have a drag and drop editor when we we first built Email Octopus. But as we built that, we needed to build templates for it. So one of the ideas I had at the time was we're building these templates anyway. Why not give them away for free as well? I was like, okay, well, we'll make some templates. We'll make them free and we'll we'll slap our logo on them. And that, I mean, that had 40,000 people download those templates. And I think that's probably our the number one way we grew in the early days. And you're
1: entering a hugely competitive market, email marketing. You've got some huge VC funded companies. What did you do to set yourself apart in such a crowded market?
2: Simplicity and price. The simplicity was kind of forced upon us because we were a limited in team. And if you've got a simple product, then make it affordable. So we went for the simple approach of allowing people to very quickly send emails i guess kind of like the the Ryanair of email marketing take away all the extras and keep it simple solve the the problem that actually most people want to do you know most people just want to fly from a to b they're not too worried about whether they get a glass of champagne on arrival with email marketing there's a massive amount of people that just want to send out an email they don't need all of these exotic automations which was you know what a lot of the VC backed businesses were doing at the time I like that exotic automations well, we like now we now have added them we now have added them mm. when we begin to go upstream but you know in the early days it, it was it was very much about you know kind of we had mm. a, a simple product let's keep the pricing low as well
1: yeah i mean conventional wisdom for a lot of indie and bootstrap startup founders is not to go with this low price approach and if you're not wanting to build something huge which i know at the start it's not you just wanted a slice of this market build a better lifestyle for yourself and often a better way to do that is to go niche do email marketing for bakeries or email marketing specifically for
0: indie hackers and that would potentially be a smarter way to do it I'll start by saying we didn't really go, or me and my brother didn't really start Email Octopus with much of a strategy, other than we can do email marketing, we can do it for free or a hundredth of the price of Mailchimp, and we want everyone who uses Mailchimp to eventually be able to use Email Octopus. Maybe in hindsight we should have gone more niche, but you know we we now have a huge. Uh, amount of potential customers we can market to
2: yeah i mean you say email marketing for bakeries or email marketing for indie hackers if the product would still be the same right it's just the marketing that would change because at the end of the day a bakery needs the same features as an indie hacker largely so rather than just going for that product marketing strategy we just went for the the affordable one it was the logical thing to do at the time i think I, i do look back and be like okay if we'd have gone after or marketed slightly differently. You look at ConvertKit, right? They launched a year or two before us, and they're now a lot bigger than us. So there is an element of what could have been, but at the end of the day, it's a pretty successful business in its own right. And, and uh, you know, if we'd have gone too niche or didn't understand the market very well, we we didn't really understand the market that well at the time, did we? We'd, we wouldn't have known who to have built for. You've got to compete on some level. You've got to have some level... If
1: some people might differentiate on niche and charge a premium for it, or another vector is differentiating on price. Yeah, and if, if I think
2: if you yeah, if you know the niche very well and you know how to market That's that true. niche, then it's it's easier. You know, Nathan Barry was one of the you know, a big blogger, so he knew the blog market very well. We came from a background with very little email marketing experience. So, we didn't really know what niche or direction to go to, but we knew that if you made something cheaper, despite everyone's advice, people will switch across.
1: Yeah. And like uh, not raising from VC being bootstrapped means you can like choose to go low price and you're not having to answer to investors who might push you in one way or the other. Have you thought about raising?
2: We have thought about raising. We've thought about selling. We've thought about a lot of things over our, you know, we've been doing this now for, seven or eight years together. The conversations we've ever had about raising and selling have been really, really useful for us. I think for as a bootstrapper, you're on a treadmill of ticking off certain milestones. It's okay, I need to get my first customer. Now I need to get it to 100 MRR. Now I need to get to Raman Profitability. Then I need to get to a million ARR. And then at that point, it's kind of what's next, right? You've got a successful business. You can pay yourself. You've got, of quite a nice life. You, the questions are then, what do we do next? And we, we found ourselves in that situation, I'd say about two years ago. And we looked at it, we spoke to investors, we spoke to potential buyers as well. The conversations never went really that far, but what it did help us do is kind of work out what that next step was for us. We went out of those meetings and we're like, why are we doing this? Like, Let's just do these things for ourselves and let's actually grow Email octopus a little bit further and and see what it can can become and that's kind of why you know a year and a half ago when we had these discussions you we were at 1.2 1.3 million arr we've now more than doubled in in those 18 months and we're growing faster than ever they've really really helped us work out where we want to go and and build a successful business
1: and this goes back to one of the comments that you guys were making about this like vision or end goal as bootstrappers, what do you want when you're starting out?
2: It's okay to change it, right? I guess it has to change. It has because to change. Because so day one, your vision is, you know, how do I get someone using my product? Day two, it's kind of, how do I make some money from it? Day three, how do I make enough money so I can quit my job? So your vision and goals, because you're not going into a, a meeting pitching to investors, you don't have that grand vision a lot of the time. I know certainly we didn't. And we've had to develop that over time and that has had to change. Do you feel like you've
1: just booked yourself jobs
2: now that are
1: like more risky and um, have certain stresses that other jobs wouldn't
0: have? In a way, I I don't think there's much risk associated with our, our jobs anymore. Not anymore. No. but We've, uh, we've, we've created m- the best job in the world for ourselves.
2: You think? Yeah, genuinely. It, it, like, it, there's do do no you know there's more stress now you're... I don't know how John feels, but I feel not very stressed
0: <laughs> do you feel stressed i think there have been points uh, where i've felt very stressed and very responsible for mainly the the uptime of the platform but we just hired our way out of that and I, I don't know about you tom but i've i've found that as time goes on with email octopus it's quite easy for it to get less exciting right so you start with that first customer that's i, I don't think i've ever been as excited as that and then like you say the 1k they being able to quit your job all of these milestones uh are fun but if you're lucky enough to get to you know one mil ARR then everything after that isn't isn't hugely life-changing the
2: challenges that we we have to create now in the business is for ourselves right five years ago the challenges were obvious and apparent and we'd have to solve them we now have to create challenges for ourselves and that is essentially hiring people and that's not to say people are a challenge but they bring new ideas they push us further they are more intelligent than us a lot of the time it gives us people to learn from and that reignites that excitement for us a lot of the time
1: and follow for a question for, for you John as a software developer someone that likes the building stuff I guess you don't get into the codebase that often anymore like do you have that urge to sort of build
0: stuff and like, how do you fulfil that I s- still do get into the co-base okay. I think Tom would say way more than I should <laughs> Yeah, you've got better.
2: (laughs) Uh, uh, There was one time that he broke the website because he uploaded the new favicon. It was at that point, I was like, John, you
0: need to step away from the code base. I think, yeah, I I risk sometimes being in that really annoying position where you don't know the code base well enough anymore, but you still want to tinker. No one likes that guy. But ultimately, coding and and building things sort of... Gives me a lot of energy and it's what I enjoy in the business. And there are ways you can do that without necessarily coding. So, Tom and I have been working a lot with designers recently. Uh, Tom mentioned we're hiring a product designer. Having those chats gives me that sort of similar buzz that I get from coding and building things.
1: You guys have been a fantastic guest, a great partner and sponsor of the show. I'm very grateful for that. I end every episode on three recommendations. We'll go
2: book, book, podcast, podcast, indie hacker, indie hacker book rework 4,000 weeks podcast the one that's got Rory Stewart on can't remember
0: what it's called something about politics I only listen to this podcast that's great
1: no I'm (laughs) very happy with that then indie hacker entrepreneur
0: levels Jeff Bun
1: chaps thank you so much for coming on this episode of Indie Bites
0: thanks James thank you very
1: much Thank you for listening to this episode of Bites with John and Tom from Email Octopus. If you enjoyed that and want to hear more, a reminder the full 30-minute conversation is available on the IndieBytes membership. and You can access that at indiebytes.com membership. And if you want to hear more from the pod, including a breakdown of the insights and takeaways from these conversations, subscribe to my newsletter, The IndieByte. Links in the show notes. That's all from me. See you next week.